Hello and welcome to episode two of the Salad Cast for this season. Um, we're back again. Um, I'm joined by the full gang this time. Uh, so you've got Chris, Dan and Mike. Mike, welcome back on the pod. How are you doing? All right, mate. How are you getting on? Yeah, you're you're calling in from, from sunny. Where are you? I don't even know where you are. Mallorca. Mallorca, okay. covered by mosquitoes um, at the okay. moment. But um, yeah, I'm good, thanks. And um, yeah, Chris, welcome back on. Thanks very much, Ollie. Delighted to be here. And Dan, welcome back on. You've missed quite a few weeks, and Mike's missed quite a few weeks. So just me and Chris doing quite a few podcasts recently. Um, Dan's back. You've been playing a lot of football, Dan. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris has just flown in from North America. You're, you're off in New York, and I've missed it because I've just been, you know, <laughs> kicking a bag of wind around too much, even though it's the off-season. So, yeah, you're right. Um, football's been ongoing here, but good to be back and chatting to you guys. Cool. So the plan of attack for this podcast is we're going to go through all the news it's been quite a while since we did the last podcast, so we're going to go through all the news in the last few weeks, get some feedback from thoughts from the guys as we go through it. Um, so we're going to go through the staff changes, player signings, and a few other bits and bobs um, that have been going on. So let's jump into it. So, fellas, quite a lot of change since we were all together. Uh, let's start with the changes, not just on the pitch, but in the in the coaching staff as well. Uh, quite, a few, we've obviously spoken about Matt Taylor being appointed, but there's been quite a shuffle behind the scenes since our last podcast. So, uh, assistant manager, as it then was, was Aaron Wilbraham, but he's left, he's gone, and we've now got a new assistant head coach in Marcus Bignett. And uh, we've also got a new head of recruitment, Tom Ware. So let's start with those two before we move on to a couple more changes. So, yeah, Aaron Wilbraham, probably no surprises there. I think we all expected him to go. Marcus Bignett, somebody that Mickey Moore knows well. He was working at Cheltenham and Moore had brought him to Cheltenham. And my understanding is that those two go back a lot further than that as well. Indeed, to their school days, I think I read somewhere that those two first knew each other. So a very long relationship between those two. An interesting one in that the director of football seems to have effectively chosen our assistant head coach rather than the, the head coach himself getting to pick his own man. So I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on that. My first thought, Chris, was actually that um, something the boys on the In The Stiffs podcast said, that they were certainly gushing in their praise of Marcus Bignett as a coach. And that was before, well and truly, we, before he was on our radar. Now, of course, we don't we don't know that they are necessarily right, but but they did sort of talk about him in in, in really positive um, terms. So, so our, my first impression was, well, it sounds like some. This is a guy who plans. This is a guy who thinks through what he's trying to do. And uh, the initial thought I had was positive about him. It sounds like he's he's someone you know who, who will hopefully take the club forward. I thought it was a bit strange that he's Mickey Moore's man when normally a head coach, a manager would pick his own backroom staff. I don't know whether Dan, you think that's is that maybe am I reading too much into that, or do you think? Well, it's a I think the dynamics question? are probably tough for us to work out here because it, it certainly looks like he's Mickey Moore's man. But I'd be quite surprised if Mickey Moore said, "By the way, your number number two is going to be X." I yeah. suspect he went to him and said something along the lines of, "You know, Marcus Bignose is a good coach. He, he, he's got these things that I think are really useful. What do you reckon?" And and yeah. I expect a lot of the appointments. 
around the around the club will be like that, where one of them will have an idea, they'll bounce it off the other, and and then they'll they'll take it forward as a unit. That that would be what I'd expect. Um, I'd be a little it'd be a little bit surprised if he just parachuted him in. That's for sure. Yeah, I wasn't suggesting that. I still still think it's a little bit strange, but yeah, I'm sure. Um, I'm, I'm sure Taylor had a, a say in it. And looking at um, Bignan's CV, it's quite impressive. He worked for England as well. And he, yeah, as you say, he seems to have quite a good reputation. So hopefully he's, he's a good sign-in. Yeah, I think, echo what you guys say, it sounds like he should be a good assistant manager. As long as we can keep him off Twitter. Apparently he had some interesting thoughts on there once upon a time. Um, should keep the, uh, the, the sort of the, 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 heart, the heat off the club. But I just thought I'd go back actually and, and sort of pay tribute to Aaron Wilbraham actually um, leaving the club. I think he did a fantastic job steering the ship when Steve Cottrell was you know, extremely ill with COVID. And I hope people don't forget that he was a real steadying factor in, in what was a very turbulent time for the club. So I don't know if he's got himself lined up with anything else yet, but I just thought um, he seemed like a, a, a great bloke that the, the players liked. He seemed to do a fantastic job for the club. So um, yeah, just tribute to Aaron, really. Um, these things happen when you change manager. You'd always change your assistant things. Um, just, uh, yeah, I hope he's going on to do good stuff, really. Um, I just thought it was worth, worth uh, raising that. Yeah, I think there is one thing about Big that you you've yeah you, you know you've you've flagged up there already, Mike, and that's he, d- he does have a bit of a past in terms of stuff that he said, um, certainly that was seen as being homophobic, that was homophobic, quite frankly, having looked it up, um, you know, a number of years ago. Now, I think it's a pretty cold, desperate world if someone is beyond redemption. So as long as long as Bignett's um, made the right move since then, and I think he has. I think the club have, have tried to make sure that they they speak to. Um, um, to, to all stakeholders within Shrewsbury Town about this, and they've not tried to, to rub it un, uh, or push it under the carpet. Um, then I, I, I don't have any immediately as an outside looking in issues with that. But I, I think it's important for the you know for, for Big Knot and, and, and the club to to deal with the, the fallout from what sound like they were pretty inappropriate comments um, a few years back. And my, my my instinct is that they have done that, um, but I don't know if you guys see that differently or if it would be something that had occurred to you. Yeah, I hear what you're saying there, Dan. I don't know whether the club engaged with our, you know, supporters groups that represent, you know, our, um, our LGBTQ uh, fans, um, or whether they sort of give them the heads up that somebody with that sort of history was coming in. I hope they did. They did. I hope they no, sort they of, did. Yeah, they I, did. I spoke okay. to Andy. Oh, yeah. I spoke to Andy um, to check in, um, and he said, yeah, that they did approach him, which is good. Um, they they did the similar thing as well at Cheltenham as well when he joined there, and he seems like he's done some good community work as well. I think, like most people, I read the Athletic article. Uh, which was pretty poor reading. That's a polite way of putting it. Um, but yeah, she said, Dan, but it sounds like he's done a good job of, of yeah, did some community work and hopefully yeah, he's learned from it. And, and like you say, Dan, you know, one action or one moment shouldn't, shouldn't necessarily define someone. Unless they're yeah, I don't want to get too heavy on that. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. If, if, yeah. if getting one thing wrong means that you, there's no way back for you, then blinking out, we are a cold bunch. But um, yeah. but I just, just had a quick look there. There was a piece in the Shop Star on July the 5th that said, you know, that all groups were engaged with, and particularly yeah. those who, who might find this particularly problematic. And that's got to be a good start, right? And I think, like you say, as long as it's been covered off with the groups most directly affected, I think, you know, as long as they're happy, we're, we can all just sort of, yeah, move along with it and... and Welcome into the club, I suppose, yeah. But I think it's an important thing that needed addressing, really. So I'm glad they've done it in the right way. But I think the, the most interesting one for me on the, on the three that, that Chris mentioned there was Tom Ware, uh, a guy that's pretty much had his work cut out for him as head of recruitment since he joined. Um, we'll get to the turnover in players later. But I think very interesting the way we're approaching recruitment this season. And definitely, I would say, what we'd all think is a bit of a change in approach from the Steve Cottrell, older pros, proven quality with some sprinkling of youngsters. Um, 
I don't know, Ollie, do you want to give us your opinion on how the how the sort of head of recruitment is going about his business, really? Yeah, it's interesting, wasn't it? And he's obviously going to um, find the players for Mickey Moore, and then Mickey Moore is probably, I imagine, going to have an input as well, and then bring that, that list to to Matt Taylor. Um, I think it's probably worth having a moment just to think about poor Cheltenham. Um, we've taken their director of football, the head of recruitment, and their first team coach. Um, and on Saturday, a... we're going to take all three points as well. Don't Fingers that. crossed. Yeah. I hope say, you're right. I've got a horrible can... feeling, Mike, that you won't be. <laughs> and we've <laughs> just seen work. the um, new away kit. Maybe we sell on their kit as well um, with an all red shirt. But yeah, it's. Um, I did see a funny comment from Wade Elliott who said that they went to Selco this weekend to buy those nails to hammer stuff down. So Mickey Moore didn't take any more. And yes, Saturday is going to be quite a feisty affair, Dan, as you say. Uh, because I'm sure um, Cheltenham fans and players and staff will really want to get get a result on Saturday. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's good. Like there was, uh, I went to the question and answer um, with um, with the director of football, Mickey Moore, and the new head coach Matt Taylor, and I thought it was a really good discussion. They really cleared out, laid out his role. That his role will all be about off the pitch stuff, really leaving um, Matt Taylor to focus on the pitch. And yeah, as he said, and if you weren't in the Q&A, it was, it was a good number, but not obviously hundreds of people there. So basically what, um, in terms of recruitment, I imagine that Tom Ware will, his role was specifically discussed, but what he'll do is he'll also do all data analysis. He'll manage the scouts. He manages the analyst. So he'll find and identify players and take that list to Mickey Moore. Obviously he knows a lot of players and probably do some of his own research as well. I'd imagine he'll be spending a lot of time on the road, I'm sure. And then, then they'll take the list to Matt Taylor. So, yeah, I think it's good. Um, I think in terms of Shrewsbury Town being successful, Shrewsbury Town can only be successful if we try all pots. Youth players, you know, players, leagues like Ireland, you know, scouting in Scotland, getting placed in League Two, getting placed in non-league, bringing our own through. I think we need to kind of look at all pots rather than just looking at Championship and League One players. So I think this year may be a bit of a transition year potentially, but I think for the long term, I like the fact that we've got people dedicated on recruitment full time. It's not the manager, it's not Matt Taylor who's going to be, you know, dipping in and out of that. I don't know what you thought, your thoughts on that, Mike. I, well, I wouldn't mind a couple of Championship or League One players coming in, you know, to 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 bolster the. There's, there's a fair few what I would call gambles coming in, you know, young players unproven or players who performed in in significantly lower leagues. I'm thinking mainly about the Irish league. Um, sometimes they can be great signings. We've had in the past where we picked diamonds up from nowhere and they've been absolutely brilliant. But you know. I think Steve Cottrell did prove a point last year that, you know, the the quality proven additions can really make a difference. So be interesting to see. There was a comment from um, Matt Taylor saying he was to get he's still he's still shopping. He wants to get as many more bodies in through the door before Saturday. You've got to assume there's some strikers who are linked with Collins and uh, somebody called Matter. It wasn't Juan, unfortunately. But um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll see some more coming, especially in attacking positions. I mean, on the next pod, we'll probably come to... Uh, you know my my what I saw at the Nottingham at the Knox County friendly, um, and some of the weaknesses in the team I think we've got. But um, yeah, good old Tom Ware. He's got his job. He's got his work cut out, and he'll be plumbing the depths of the lower leagues and, and everywhere else he can find players. I think. Yeah, we certainly signed a number of players. We'll come on to some of the players that we signed in a moment. Um, just a few other changes as well as we've got a new um, first team coach as well joining the club. Um, Steve Sean Parrish, sorry. He's come in as a first-team coach. He's come from Wolves. He did, did play for Shrewsbury, came through as a scholar. Um, he's been under-23 um, under manager at Wolves. Um, and he, he said he's delighted to be back at the team as well. Um, so that's good to see. And um, I first heard the news on Saturday 
but I've got a new bit of a new policy, which I kind of broke today, of not pissing the club, the club off too much. <laughs> um, certainly, how should I put this? Got a little bit of feedback that, yeah, my, my, my breaking news has been noted, let's put it that way. Um, so I didn't share the Dave Longwell story. I didn't want to really share that. It's not really, for me, necessarily the same as a, a signing or a new manager joining. But yeah, I heard on Saturday that Dave Longwell was going to Burnley, which I think is a great move for him. Um, the trouble with youth recruitment is like, how do you know if he's been successful or not? I think the fact that we've got, you know, we've got Hearns, looks like a really good player. I was quite impressed with him at Stourbridge. A couple of players for the youth team as well. The youth team has done had some good results. They got to the end of that, that cup final, didn't they, against... Was it Bournemouth or Southampton last year as well? So yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to judge an academy manager, um, but he does seem to have brought the academy closer to the first team, even even with a manager like Steve Cottrell. So Mike Dan, I don't know what your thoughts are on Dave Longwell. And yeah, he obviously did a lot as well, didn't he? Help helping Wilbraham in that period as well. Um, and Cottrell. Yeah, I've got, I've got no issues with him going, and um, you know I don't really see he could have any issues with him going. Interested with Sean Parrish. I, I do remember Sean Parrish playing. I mean, how old am I? But um, he's he's probably a fraction older than I am. He only played three or four games at a time. I remember one on a Tuesday night. And he, he interestingly, he, he, he was an all-action player. He was up and down. Um, maybe because he was young, maybe, you know, because he was playing in midfield. But he definitely was someone who who, who seemed to sort of play, you know, play on the, by the seat of his pants almost. And I, I get the impression he, he he might coach like that as well. I think I think he's quite a, a forward-looking, progressive coach. But I, I, don't, I don't really know that. It, it's a guess. And um, I think, you know, if Sean, Sean Parrish is, if any of us are going to talk about Sean Parrish, probably Chris. I know Chris has had a bit of a bit of experience of him in the past. Um, Chris, did you want to say a few words on Sean? Yeah, Sean Parrish. Uh, so for the people who don't know, I did a few years ago, used to be a sports reporter. I had the joy of covering AFC Telford. And when I was there, he was a player for AFC Telford and he went on to be a coach there as well. And so I, I've interviewed Sean Parrish many times in sort of the early to mid 2000s, so between about 2004 and 2010, spoke to him regularly in that sort of period. Really good, funny guy. Uh, thinks he's funny as well in the nicest possible sense. He likes his banter, and I'm sure that will be good on the training ground for the players. He's always got a joke in him, but he seems to know his stuff as well. And from Telford, he really did kick on as a coach. Obviously, he's been, I'm sure he, he's been onto Wolves, done well there with their under-23s. So, yeah, an experienced coach who I think will fit in well on our training ground. And then he's got that Shrewsbury link as well, of course, a former player, which... Uh, just means he knows the club. It's a very different club to the one he played for, different ground and very different people, of course. But still, there's that familiarity. So for me, he's a good fit for us and a decent appointment. And I'm pleased to see him there. Good good addition to the backroom staff. And yeah, let's um, let's close the staff section here, talk about players. Um, as we said, Tom and, and Mickey and, and Matt have been very, very busy. Um, on the last podcast, we, we discussed the six players we'd signed. And since then, we signed another number of players, um, quite a few. So I'm just going to list them out, and then we'll maybe pick a f- one or two to go through. A couple of names you recognise, some names that we that we don't. So the ones that we do recognise. So Burgoyne came back and signed a one-year deal. Um, Elliot Bennett came back and signed a one-year deal as well. And then we signed Elliot Thorpe um, from Luton on on loan for the season, who was at Burton Albion, didn't play a lot of games. And then we started signing a few interesting players and different areas and different regions that we haven't signed players from for a long, long time. So we signed um, Shabawali from uh, Waterford, the second division in Ireland, on a one-year-plus deal. Um, Shara has signed from Barnsley on a one-year-plus deal. Also signed um, Taylor Perry from Wolves on a two-year-plus-one option. Um, Johansson alone from Sunderland and Keenar on, on loan from here, Burby. And so, yeah, signed a lot of players there. 
Um, obviously, you guys recognise the name Burgoynes and, and, and Bennett, but did any of you recognise the other names? I'll be honest, I didn't. They're all new names to me. Um, even well, I obviously heard about Terry, Pay- uh, Terry Perry during the, um, the summer because he's been on trial for, for such a long time. I keep... Basically, the reason why I'm laughing, the lads are laughing there. I was doing football manager trying to transfer him, and I kept typing his name wrong. So in my head, it is completely puzzled. I can't remember what it is. He's always going to be Terry Perry to me now. Yeah, Terry Perry. Terry Perry, yeah. Get Terry Perry on. That's what I'll be shouting. That one's got legs, Mike. I can see the the masses liking that one. (laughs) I couldn't find him on football manager because I kept typing his name wrong. Um, So, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, did you guys recognise any of those names? Not really. I mean, I didn't expect to either. I mean, you know, the, the, these guys are scouting around for good deals. And it, it's in a long tradition, actually. I mean, it's, it's one that I think Steve Cottrell didn't really buy into. But I mean, you know, Nigel Pearson. Yeah, anyone know where we signed him from? He the town. Thank good stuff. Uh, what about uh, Colin Robinson? Oh, it's got three names, doesn't it? It's, uh, it's, yeah, he's <laughs> doing well. He's is, good. is it Tolor Town? No, or is that, that's no, another wrong one. one. Mile Oak Rovers. Mile um, Oak Rovers, that's it. Yeah. But yeah. my point is, if you're a football, excuse me, fan of a certain age, then those are two big names. You know, they, they, they were absolutely pivotal in, in our best ever team. But he in the town, anybody? You know, Mile Oak Rovers, never heard of them. Uh, and th- these are the type of players we picked up and made much better players uh, uh, and, and not only did well on the field, but got some money for. So, I don't mind going back to that tradition at all. I think it's got a lot going for it in terms of, um, you know, bringing in super keen footballers who may potentially be good for us in a whole number of ways. And and the, the one I had heard of was Noah Kenner, uh, and Kenner, however, however we pronounce it, isn't it? Um, and I, I think that was because he's got this quirky stat about him, hasn't he? He was at Leeds for eight years, uh, never made a, a first team appearance, but has still managed to get, did he get a yellow card or a red card from the substitutes bench? Um, so he's never set foot on a, on the field for Leeds, but has managed to be disciplined uh, for some off-field behaviour uh, during one of their games, which I thought was quite an interesting stat. But in terms of the football, he's, he, he's a bit of a Makaleli type player, isn't he? He's supposed to break break play up. He, he can pass the ball quite well. But until we get going, so many of these players will be complete unknowns. And I have got a problem with that. Let, let, no. Let's see where that goes. It is a different world from where we were last year, but I think it's an interesting one. Well, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, it sort of goes back to my point we were, when we were discussing about the head of recruitment. There's a lot of risk in, in those signings, I think, just unproven risk. Um, I like you harking back to the good old days and when you can find a you know championship quality player in the, the Scottish lower divisions or, or that. I don't know whether football is a slightly different game now. Scouting networks are so much more developed. People are using analytics. People are using, you know, all that sort of thing to spot the diamonds in the rough. I don't know. I don't know, for me personally, how I feel that there's that many more of them out there that all of a sudden Shrewsbury Town are going to be moneyball and finding all these players that nobody else has given a chance to get. I hope that's the case. I hope we've got this fantastic scouting network that's unearthing these diamonds. But, um, it, it, yeah, it does feel like we're in on the side of risk. And, I, I, you know, just before the end of the window, I'd love to see a couple more proven players come in just to bolster it out a bit. But, um, you know, obviously, all that said, you'll still be backing them 100%. I want them all to shine. I want them all to be brilliant and, and make us make us boatloads of money down the road as well. But um, slight, slight sort of slight, slight eye of uh, caution towards some of the um, enthusiasm I've seen online from the sort of the Twitter football analyst community who are sort of these random people who sort of set themselves up as football oracles and all of them, if you read the rumours and, and, the, and the profiles that these guys give them, all the guys we signed are world beaters and they're fantastic and they can't believe nobody else has given them a chance. So, yeah, lots of potential, lots of risk. It's, I'd, I'd be interested to see how this lot get on. 
I, I get that, Mike, but I find that intriguing because we've got a core of a team from last year. You go from Morosi via Che Dunkley with Flanagan there. You've got Bennett around as well. You've got Winchester, I hope, plays in midfield, but you know, he may well play at wing-back, and he, he, he certainly has played at wing-back in the past. You go through Shipley via Bayliss to Dan Doe, that that is a core of a team. Now, I, I get that. The, the risk thing, I guess, I guess it is there, but surely it's a risk that's based on not spending that much money. So, admit if if it if it goes wrong, then then okay. But um, I, I think ultimately you've got to try and find ways of improving younger players, and, and all clubs try and do it. I mean, Ken's a good example. He's at Leeds for eight years, so he's, he's not someone who's just played play, played played nowhere before. He's got a good background. Now doesn't mean he's going to be a great player for us. But I don't know. I, I think the risk is a manageable one on this one. We've got a core of good players. Um, if they all get injured, we're in trouble. But we'd be in trouble anyway if, we had, if six of those got injured. So so I, I'm, I'm just, a bit more optimistic. That point against the, about the previous season's core, you know, Dunkley's out for an indeterminate amount of time, which is a big miss. Um, Flanagan, I remain to still be convinced by. He was very error-prone last season, and he was against Nos County. Um well, we're missing, coming, though, Luke, it? I mean, we're missing it, Leahy, who is, who's, who I think is a huge miss in the centre midfield. I don't think you replace him with, with uh, well, Shipley's playing fullback and Winchester's playing fullback. There's lots of there's lots of core players there, but unless you can play them in their key positions, we're struggling. You know, I, I don't feel like we've really we're putting we're still putting square pegs in round holes a little bit. I think until. The, but you know, I think when I said this before in the pod, in 2017-18, three of our lone players were just like off the radar. I mean, oh, never yeah, heard of absolutely. So, so, That's what I'm saying. The potential is yeah. there for it to be brilliant. But, you know, yep. um, maybe I'm a pessimist. Who knows? But um, maybe I'm the, the, you know, the voice of pessimism today. Maybe I've had a bad day at work. Who knows, Dan? Yeah. You could be the voice of reason, mate. That's yeah. what I worry I think, about. <laughs> I think the voice of reason might be coming in here. Chris keeps putting his hand up. I think he, he's got something to say. So, yeah, Dan's actually said a couple of the things that I was planning to say on this pod tonight. So, for, for me, his point about Nigel Pearson, and I think he could go back further as well, right from the 70s, right through to the late 90s, Shrewsbury, because of budgetary reasons, have had a habit of recruiting in this way. And if the internet had been around in that era, I'm sure there'd have been lots of noise about some of the players we brought in, but people didn't have that the outlook that they've got now. And I think sometimes fans flame their own anxieties because when you read lots of other people getting anxious about it it fuels your own anxiety as well so I think that a lot of these signings do deserve a chance and then my other point was that what Dan has just said about the squad as well I think we'll see a very different approach next summer because some of our core players are going to be out of contract and it's inevitable that some of them will move on so you know Daniel Udo if he has a good season this season he's out of contract there's a good chance he's playing for someone else by this time next year we may lose Tom Bayliss who's also out of contract people like that so it's next summer I'm sure that they will have a recruitment plan in place to bring in the more senior players that they might need but this time around I think they've looked at what they've got and they've decided to use the limited budget they've got around those players by bringing by taking a few risks now yeah I, I get what you're saying Mike there's definitely risk there but I just I feel like if a club like Shrewsbury is going to progress you have to take risk if we play it safe all the time then you end up with a position with last season where we did we improved, but we didn't have enough players. I mean, we could have gone down that route again and run with a squad of 16 or 17 players or whatever it was, but it didn't work ultimately. We got to February, well, March especially, and for the last two months, we were limping over the line because our but squad we, was knackered and broken. We and limped just, over the line to a, a you know, third best finish in 30 years. I think yeah. you can say that did work, Chris. Results results speak loudest. Results, yeah, but is, so is that the limit of us? So, so, so if we say that we use our, our limited budget as far as we can go and 12th is the best we can hope for, 
it was great. You know, there were bits of it I loved, but I'm all for giving some of these players a go, hopefully finding that two or three of them thrive. They make us a bit of money and we can build on it. And to me, this is not just about how we do this season, but how we do over the next two or three seasons as well. You know, as long as we stay up, of course, you know, there's no doubt about it. Relegation's a failure. But at the same time, I don't I don't expect us to be in that position because I think we've got enough good quality players in this squad to comfortably keep us in League One and hopefully have us somewhere near where we were last year. But that's just how I see it. And I, I get that a lot of people don't. I mean, obviously, Mike, I get that you're one of those people. And No, I, I don't know if you heard... It'd, it'd be a boring saying, pod not, if we didn't, if we all agree. Yeah, and it's not that I, it's not, I think there's potential in there to do something. It's just, it's just so many players who haven't played League One football before consistently. But like Dan says, we've had it before. So maybe I'm, I, I just think I'm on the fence a little bit. I don't know what to expect. Half of me is... Ex- I'm more excited to go and watch the football this season last season because there's so much more sort of jeopardy and potential randomness to happen out of this squad. But equally... If you know, if we're ten games in and we're barely picking up points, it's going to be it's going to be a tough old season. But like, Ollie, you've always got an idea about players and things. You've always got a bit of a left field idea. What's your take on it all? I'm sitting between both of you guys, to be honest, in terms of this kind of the, the, the kind of the, the debate. I have the same concern that Mike does that we need a few more quite seasoned first team pros in that team because half yeah, the vast majority of those Elliot Bennett's quite old and Burgoyne's a, a sub goalkeeper Thorpe didn't really play um, hardly any games for Burton and the rest of the lads haven't got apart from um, actually Taylor Perry who has played quite a few number of games um, he's got some experience but yeah I, I think there's a lot of projects in there and we've kind of signed a lot of projects in a, in a, in a short spell so I think that's why maybe a little bit of concern as well. But I very much like the idea of signing some projects. You know, some of these lads, without naming names, will be definitely on, you know, I don't know, 800, less, certainly less than a grand a week. So it'll be low waging in football um, terms. So it's, it's a gamble we can take. Um, we do need the loan players. We do need we do need Joe Anderson. I haven't played a lot against Sunderland. You know, he didn't play for Sunderland when they had an injury crisis in the playoff in their playoffs. And they ended up playing you know players that position to play in centre back. They decided not to play him maybe because he was too young. Mowbray did like him. Um, he's a post apparently a really good uh, mobile left footed um, player who can play with the ball. So he sounds quite encouraging. So yeah, I think obviously the window hasn't closed yet. There's still quite a few weeks left. Um, if we're gonna you know try and compete and achieve what we did last year 12th we definitely need to sign a few more season first team pros but I quite like what we're doing and I like the fact that we're actually going to have a bench I did see um, um, Shabua on when he played against at Stourbridge um, and while he's come in he looked quite comfortable on the ball so he didn't look too bad um, a couple, I won't name the name, but one player we signed earlier in the window. He looked. I genuinely think I could have done better than him when I was in my twenties. Um, he looked awful. Um, so yeah, um, fingers crossed, and um, we can sign some some quality players, Mike. I was going to make come back on one thing Mike said there actually, which I thought was what was really interesting. That there are there are ever more people out there on X. Are we calling it X? Is that what we're calling? It's it? No, today it's on my Twitter. phone, it's turned it's itself Twitter. over. Yeah. It, it has, hasn't it? It's, it's yeah. apparently it's X now. Um, might delete it. <laughs> well, but there's a lot of people in there who suddenly have got a lot of expertise about a shed load of players. And, yeah. and I mean, again, without naming any names, there are two or three that seem to be experts on every player town have been linked with this, yeah. this window. And that's like, well, either they're geniuses and they're, they're even sadder than I am, which says something, or, or, or they're, just, they're just bullshitters. And, and I, I'm not sure which it is, but it, it has intrigued yeah, it me. There's be. a lot of people who apparently think they know a lot. Yeah, there are, they, there's two sides to looking at this. There is a, is a genuine path of getting yourself a Y Scout account, doing articles and doing uh, doing analysis of players, 
creating a portfolio and do and getting a, a job in the game. That does happen, and people are successful doing that. At the same time, Dan, it could be that they're just chatting in absolute shit, and maybe they've watched one or two videos and they're just kind of spouting some stuff out. Um, or um, so we don't know. The proof will be put in when we watch them ourselves at the meadow. Yeah, I'd say don't forget it's the summer holidays, and there's a lot of kids out there playing football manager. You know that that's where a lot of people will be pulling this stuff from. I think so. Um, I take it all with a pinch of salt. Uh, I'd rather that's a good line, Mike. Old, I like that. I'd, I like that. I'd rather rely on a good, an honest old hack like Chris with his connections and and his, his knowledge of how football works a bit more. I think. And yeah. Although he's raising his eyebrows, I think he's been at the game too long. Maybe you never know. <laughs> I think, Mike, it's that I'm I'm definitely in the camp that I didn't know any of these players to be honest. So I, I might be wisened and all that, but I'll be honest. Yeah, I haven't. I didn't know Thorpe. Didn't know Shabawale. Didn't know Shrasaha Kenna. I'm Anderson. I've heard of Taylor Perry, but know very little about him. So that's about as far as it goes. So yeah, they're yeah. they're interesting signings, but as you say, there's there's an element of risk there. We got more to come, haven't we? As Ollie said, I don't know if we're going to get the season pros that we're expecting. We've been linked with one particular prominent one, obviously, but there might be nothing in that. And everyone else we're being linked to continues to be kids, don't they? Or or challenge, you know, we're linked with that Irish lad up front to uh, Max Matter. If we get somebody like him in. He's got a bit more experience, I suppose, but in terms of tried and tested, he certainly isn't, not in English football anyway. So, you know, even those signings were, are going to continue to be uh, stabs in the dark. So you're right that we need a few of those to come off, but I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens at least. My excitement well, will fade rapidly if we lose our first five games. But Yeah. You know, and we, the, thing, the good thing is we freed up some budget today. I mean, O'Brien's gone out on loan to Sutton United. It goes down in history as one of the strangest signings I think we've had as a football club. Came in with a lot of fanfare, left with a whimper twice, basically. Um, so hopefully they can reinvest some of his. I, I don't suppose Sutton will be playing his whole wage because I imagine he's going to buy highest earners. So. But that might have freed up some budget for a couple more bodies in next week. And he looked awful, to be honest, at Starbridge. I can say this now. <laughs> uh, I was chatting to you guys in WhatsApp um, at the time. He looked off it. I, cannot, I don't say he didn't look interested, but considering he was playing in a, in a team with mostly reserve young lads, project players... Um, against Stourbridge, who are very much a non-league side. He should have stood out, shouldn't he, of a player of that calibre, but he didn't at all. Um, so, yeah, I think it's good that he's moved on. And then also two other players we need to talk about who have moved on. One was Luke Leahy. So Luke Leahy put in a transfer request, apparently got an offer too good to sign for Wickham. Um, I think he is a loss. He's a, you know, he's a box-to-box midfielder, put a lot of energy, did score quite a few goals from penalties and did contribute with quite a lot of assists. Um, I do think it's, I'm going to say it, rather hilarious. He has the number 10 number um, because one thing he is not is not a playmaker. He's a very good footballer. Um, he he's contributes, um, but he is not a playmaker number 10. So I don't know whether whether they've been looking at football manager, Mike, and I've inflated his data too much um, and I did something wrong there. But um, yeah, yeah, he's legally he's not number 10, is he? He's gone from four back to, to attacking playmaker in two seasons, basically, isn't it? It's quite a transition for the guy. Um I think we'll really miss him. I think he was the driving force in our team. I think we covered it maybe on a previous pod, or it was one of our exchanges. He's been part of the year, two years in a row. Yeah, brilliant, um, but also excellent captain. Dan will come on to the quality of captains later on, probably. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just think he did so many jobs, and he could cover at centre half when we had an injury. He could drop in at full back when we had an injury. Contribute with free kicks, contribute with penalties. His corners were excellent. I think, I, I, arguably, you're going to need a couple of players to replace him for all the different jobs he did for us. Um, but again, you know, he's getting older. He, you know, there's a good good deal of money on the table for him. I don't blame him for taking it. No hard feelings. Um, and I'll certainly be standing and giving him a clap when he comes because he, he did a very good job for our club while he was here. Yeah, and he was, do you think also, was he maybe a, 
a Steve Cottrell man as well. So maybe that helped helped him. Yeah, I think they got well. on really well, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. It was his son, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, I don't know, Dan, Chris, what's your thoughts on Luke Lee going? Disappointed, Ollie. I mean, obviously he's been, as you said, player of the season two years in a row. So it's always a blow to lose some of that quality. But at the same time, these things happen in football. How many times have we lost good players and you move on and sometimes you thrive anyway? And we just have to hope. At least it's happened early in the window. That's one thing I'd say. It's not a John Nolan, Toto and Ciala situation when we lost them bang on the start of the season and we found ourselves on the back foot from day one. So we've had some time to prepare for this. We've had some time to look at what we're going to do about it. So, you know, there's no, it's not an excuse for me, certainly. I don't think Matty Taylor and Mickey Ball will be using losing Luke Lee here as as an excuse if they start badly because they've, they've had enough time to respond to that and they've got the money from his transfer fee and the money from his salary, presumably to reinvest. So it's not an excuse for me. It's a shame, but it's it's not something that I see as being uh, breaking us, as it were. I, I think we can survive it. It's just uh, how they do that. Yeah, I buy into all of that, Chris. I mean, did, did I want him to go? No, not really. I think he's been he's been pretty effective for us. Um, but the thing that he reminded me of, and again, sorry, this is probably a bit before at least two of your times, but Brian Robson was the linchpin of Manchester United and England's midfield through the 1980s. You know, Captain Marvel. He was the guy who drove United forward. He was a great football player. When did United start winning when they got rid of Brian Robson, right? Now, it wasn't that that was the only thing that turned United into the force they were in the 90s and 2000s, but but certainly that type of midfielder didn't quite fit with the team that Alex Ferguson eventually wanted to be. It took him a while to get there. Um, you know, Robson was there for five years, six years with, with Ferguson, but ultimately United moved on when Captain Marvel moved on too. So I, I don't think losing a player like Lee, he was not not dissimilar in terms of his stature in the club to what Robson was was with United at the time. Um, I don't think it needs to be existential at all. But w- would I have opted to do it? No. But w- we will move on, folks. We will move on. I like the quite like the fact that Mickey Moore said this is the money we want. The club stuck out for it. They didn't they didn't you know cave into a player, um, even a player who's got good standing um, at the club. But yeah, we got the money that we wanted. Um, and yeah, like you say, we move on. It's you know, club of our stature, we're going to lose players, we're going to sign players, and yeah, just what, the way you it said is. Got the money, what, you're talking about a transfer fee. I mean, I saw yeah, sort of 120, 120k. 120K. I yeah. saw um, Steve Cottrell mention to John Palmer um, on on the internet. He did an article for Gloucestershire Live. Um, he said it was 120k. Um, so yeah, um, so that's that's something to play with, and hopefully um, they can put that money to good use. Um, and then another player that's gone out. Um, which had some mixed reception. Um, Tom Bloxham has joined uh, Morecambe on loan. Um, what's your thoughts on that one, guys? Were you surprised? I'm not at all surprised with that one, Ollie. Uh, I think Tom Bloxham needs to play regular football. We, you know, he's he's coming. He's 19 years old now, coming up 20, and you know he burst on the scene as a 17-year-old. But it's, since then, his appearances have been sporadic. And I, I actually think this is good management by our, our management team to to look at him and say, Do you know what? Much as you, we, we could keep you here and shove you, know, you know, you'll be on the bench and come on now and again. Or we could send you to a League Two club and hopefully get you 20 games over the next three or four months. And, he, and he, if he really flies, we can always bring him back in January. They've made it clear there's a recall clause in there. So we could see him back again for the second half of the season. Or failing that, he's got a good year at League Two to, to show what he can do. And then hopefully come back to us a better player next year. So I think it's good for him. He's, he's so young that he's got time on his side. And this, this allows him to maybe play catch up a bit as long as he's a regular at Morecambe. Yeah, we might be recalling him early and we think there was only two 
recognised strikers in the books at the moment. Maybe he'll be playing on Saturday if we're not uh, careful. I reckon yeah. it'll be more than two by the end of the week, though, and probably <laughs> yeah. more than th- more than three by the end of next week. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I think it's a good move. And like you say, he only made five starts last season. He was one of many number of bench warmers um, that Steve Cottrell used. I think Charlie Caton's career has potentially taken a backward step because he was used as a bench warmer with no real intention of playing him. And I think uh, Tom Bloxon falls into that category. I think a different, you know, he's obviously, got, you know, you can't commute from Shrewsbury to Morecambe every day. So he's certainly moved up there. And I think, you know, um, Derek Adams has got a, as you know, he's developed a few players and some attacking players have moved on to do well from, from their side. So he'll certainly play. He's been starting every preseason game for them when their first team has been playing. He's been playing in a, in a 4-3-3 on the right-hand side. Um, but I'm told that um, Morecambe play quite a, a fluid attack. A good friend of mine, Tom, is a, does shrimps online and he's been feeding me back. And every time he scores, he, he, he WhatsApps me straight away and he's been scoring a few goals for them in preseason as well. So I think a, a fresh voice, fresh start, he's got, you know, he'll also go to Morecambe um, as a, let's tongue in cheek, but he'll come, you know, a player on loan from a bigger club, um, going in there, hopefully as a first team player. He's not a, a youth player, a kid come through from the, from the academy. So he'll come there as a different kind of, you know, it's like when you know, it's like when you go to a new job, you go there as the person you are today rather than the person you were, you know, five, six years ago. So I think it's a fantastic move for him. I think Morecambe's a good club to go to as well. Um, so yeah, wish him well and fingers crossed um, he'll do well. And on the podcast, we'll give, we'll be able to bring regular updates with Tom as well, with my mate Tom as well. So, so that should be good. Um, your thoughts on, on the move, Dan? Yeah, no, I, I echo virtually all of that. Um, in recent years, I've lost track of why the loan market exists, to be honest. You know, when you have seasoned players in the championship going on loan to other championship clubs, I'm like, what, what the hell is all that about? And then you have Chelsea having like six million players on loan to everywhere. I've really struggled to make sense of it because to me, a loan is really about a player going down one or two levels, relatively young, getting some experience, or perhaps they've been injured, so they've got to go back and get some game time at a lower level. And, and this absolutely fits that. It makes sense for all parties. And I like the way you said every time Bloxham scores, because he has been scoring, hasn't he? And that, that's got to be good for him. It doesn't affect us in terms of Morecambe, but it might affect us in 12, 18 months' time when he comes back. So absolute win-win. Wish him the best. And and um, and, and I think the point about he'll go there is with, with, a, with a fresh start as a centre-forward, uh, um, and they'll, they'll expect him to score goals, is, is very true. It, it sounds to me like a, a fantastic opportunity for him. Yeah, no, a really good move, good move. Um, and then talking of pre-season, um, we've been to a few games. I went to the Starbridge game. Yeah, it's a very, very mixed team, let's say. Um, I didn't really Can learn Can I ask, what, what was the ground? I played cricket at Starbridge Cricket yeah, Club, which is Starbridge. Yeah, yeah. And what, so what did it feel like? Did it feel like literally a park's pitch? Well, I loved or... it. It was a 10-minute drive up the road, parked to my sister-in-law's house and walked down, so Fantastic. that was really nice. Had a nice pint of ale, actually Shropshire ale as well, which was quite funny, from Shropshire Brewery, from Slopian Brewery. Um, and yeah, it's a very weird grain because you say you've got the cricket pitch and then like it's literally like a village football, village club that have done all right in non-league and built three stands around part of the pitch. So the cricket pitch is an open side. Um, and it's nice, yeah, nice little non-league ground. The pitch was pretty decent. Um, it was quite funny also sitting next to um, the media lads. And I saw the guy from Shropshire Star was reading my tweets, which I thought was quite was quite nice to see. Um, and yeah, it was a nice little ground um, and yeah, decent pitch. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a lot of football played. Me and Sean Evans were chatting and, um, for most of the game because there wasn't a lot to see on the pitch. So yeah, not a bit of a run around. I think probably the highlight for me was um, I saw Hernings for the first time. He looks like a real player youth player coming from our academy he's been training with the first team and I thought Thorpe looked quite good as well 
Um, Shogorel looked all right as well. He looked all right on the ball. Um, but yeah, you've been to a few games, haven't you, Mike? Um, any, what's your kind of, I remember you mentioning flat back five. Yeah. I, well, the only one I have seen is the, the county game at the weekend. The friendly uh, ended at 1-1. And um, but very different to you. I thought the team that we played on that day seemed like be quite close to the starting eleven. Yeah, you Saturday. did. Yeah, I saw reserve yeah. team. The only one I thought maybe might, might have gone in was Thorpe, but he was on the bench, so it's a shame not to see him. But um, yeah, it was it was a very strange one because of all the talk. What we were talking about the players, we expected to be a bit more of a football inside, a bit more tranky bowl of the ball. We just couldn't get hold of it. You know, I would say I, I've seen some people putting up online that you know Notts County would track as having seventy five percent of the possession in the first half and probably not far off that in the second half. Um, I, one of the lads who sits by said, if, if I'd have missed the summer and you told me that Steve Cottrell was still in charge, I wouldn't be surprised because we were sitting back in a very low block and maybe they were doing this to practice if they come up against it in a season. You don't know what the tactic was, you know, we'll caveat all this with it was a pre-season game and you can't read anything into pre-season. But, you know, at times we were playing a flat back five with Shipley and Winchester playing full back. Um, we were letting County have the ball. County, very good football inside, very comfortable on the ball. Um you can see why they, they sort of went up through the, the conference at Canter. Um, I expect them that they should be all right in League Two. They won't have any trouble there. Um, I was just a bit worried about, we didn't really try to play any football. And then we moved Winchester inside in the second half, brought Bo, um, Bennett on at fullback. And we were more of a football inside. It seemed to click a bit more and we played a bit of football. Um, Udo's goal was good. Udo looked like the best player on the park. He was brilliant. Um, equally as good as McGoldrick in his performance. Um, Bowman missed two opportunities to just square it to Udo for an own goal, tried to score himself, couldn't score. Concerned about him being a, a, a regular starter in League One again. But um, yeah, it all looked a bit disjointed, a little bit. Um, but we didn't really know what we were trying to achieve in that game. But, you know, that's just a pre-season game. You never know. Interesting uh, about style of play. Um, it's something that came up in the Q&A. Um, and I did manage to have a little chat with Mickey Moore and then also um, um, Matt Taylor after the Q&A finished as well. Um, I was asking, Mickey Moore said that he was at that, that game that you were at last season, Dan, the MK Dons game. And he said it's one of the most boring games he's ever seen. Um, and he, he referenced that game and he was talking about how Shrewsbury Town played a low block even against you know teams in the relegation fight. And Mickey Moore did reference Cheltenham and they beat us twice last season. Um, and well, I think one of the most boring games I've ever seen, but it's bloody brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And that's the funny thing, isn't it? I don't dispute his point. Yeah, 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 it was a terrible game of football. And he said, one of the things that we will do, we'll try and play more attractive football. Um, we won't play in a low block like Steve Cottrell did against relegation threatened sides. So we'll try and play a bit more football. But I think it is going to be about, I think Matt Taylor's learnt from his time at Warsaw. He knows he needs to win results. So I imagine we'll see a gradual transition away from the Steve Cottrell defensive low block. And maybe, Mike, you said this was the game. Notts County, you know, Notts County uh, with Stockport County actually have the better odds in terms of getting winning League Two next year. And, yeah, McGoldrick, they've got a cheat code there for League Two because he's bloody brilliant. Um, so, yeah, what's your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, McGoldrick really gave us the runaround. I mean, we from from sitting in the stands, and I don't want to hark too much about players that aren't available or have gone, but we really missed Shea Dunkley. I mean, his presence, his commanding presence in there that holds it all together. Um, Flanagan was was he got caught on the ball two or three times, and his passing was as as, as sort of wacky as ever, pumping it out of play when he doesn't need to. Um, so I, I I feel like the back three is going to need to gel a little bit more over the course of this week and work on that shape because there were times when County were playing the ball from their back line through the pitch, through our back line. So there must have been huge gaps to be aiming for to play that sort of three-line breaking pass. Um, 
And then, yeah, the other one was sort of um, Kenny in midfield. You can tell he's, he's got all the physical attributes, but he, he couldn't keep up with the game. I think he was playing as a, as a single defensive midfielder with Perry and um, Bayless sort of in the attacking position. He was getting overrun. So again, it's just about them finding those connections and those sort of um, patterns of play within those little units. So the three centre-halves, the three central midfielders, you could tell without Leahy in there and without Dunkley in there, it was a little bit less sort of um, cohesive. But again, that'll come from playing together, training together. Um, so I'm not massively worried yet, but it was a bit it was a bit stark. I didn't see much to get excited about in the first game, I suppose. Um, you weren't there, Chris, were you? But I don't know, you, you might have come in here. So, yeah, comment and a question, if that's all right, Mike, because like you say, I wasn't there, so I'd like your thought. You mentioned Shea Dunkley, and I entirely agree. I mean, he clearly, he's a fantastic player for us, was all last season. Fingers crossed he's not far away. They they suggested it was a three- to four-week injury. He's been out that long now. You know, I'd like the press to maybe ask the manager about that, because I'd like to think he's back mm. in training now, but we haven't been told. But, you know, fingers crossed he's not far away. He certainly was at the Notts County game. I saw pictures of him and he did, you know, he looked healthy. He wasn't in, he wasn't in plaster or on crutches or anything. So hopefully he's not far away. He would have missed the Cheltenham game anyway because he was sent off at the end of last season. So no, I yeah. think he'll be a boat boost when he is back. So, uh, yeah. We, I forgot that, about that one as well, one. Mike. Is, is, that, yeah. is that right, is it, Chris? Oh, he was back. Absolutely. He was, he got, if you remember, he got sent off at Lincoln, so he'd have been banned for the first right. game of the season. So, the injury hasn't cost him that game, but equally, I think we're going to have to be patient that even if he's back in training, he needs time to get up to speed, doesn't he? So, he, it might be that he's out for another couple of weeks or at least on the bench or something. But I could see him coming into the team and hopefully being, you know, in my opinion, a leader at the back there. But, I'd, my question for you, Mike, I suppose, is how did Joe Anderson do? Because the stuff I read about him suggests he looked all right. And I agreed with some of your comments mm. on Flanagan as well. So when Dunkley comes back, I, I think potentially the one who's at threat is Flanagan, not Anderson. Mm. You could see maybe Dunkley in the middle with Anderson one side and Feeney on the other. And maybe that's not a bad back three. Yeah, Anderson and Feeney were, were tidy. I thought Feeney was the, the standout of the defenders, actually. He was solid and he got things going forwards and he was really strong in the air. Very, very physical Um Anderson felt like more one of those um, sort of ball-playing footballers. You know, doesn't mix it as much, but is a bit more comfortable on the ball. Um, and they looked a lot more solid. I, th- I think they were sort of trying to cope with with Flanagan at times, um, trying to hold it all together. Um, so they, they looked all right. They looked competent footballers, I'd say. But um, yeah, Feeney of the two stood out. And like you say, the thing for Flanagan is he's not he's not the new man's he's not the new manager's player, is he? The other two have been brought in under him. So him and Dunkley are sort of the inherited players. And, and is it a case of them sort of having to make a case too? Taylor that they deserve to be part of the team. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that shakes out, I think. Ollie. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Obviously, um, um, Taylor watched a lot of games, Shrewsbury Town games last season, um, and that's one of the reasons why he wanted Winchester back. It'd be interesting to get his opinion on Flanagan. Um, I would say, just to give a bit of defence to Flanagan, I do wonder whether he was, well, the manager did say once he was playing injured. How many games did he play injured to help the manager out and be a good squad player and be a good team player? Um, as a, a kind of almost a sacrifice of himself given we had so few players available um, and I thought it was a really interesting comment from Mickey Moore at the Q&A as you talked about left-footed players playing in left-footed positions and right-foot players playing in right-foot positions and I pretty much I think he was, one of the players he was definitely referring to was Flanagan who's right-footed playing at left centre-back uh, we went out and signed um, Joe Anderson who can play there um, so I think yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens with, with Flanagan I did hear some rumours swir- swirling that he might leave Heard rumours about Morosi, and today I've also heard rumours about Doe as well. So, yeah, I think I think it's going to be interesting to see what squad we have um, by the time um, the, um, the the window closes. 
And well, you're going to have to say is. more on Udo now. You can't just drop that in there, and then people, our <laughs> listeners, are going to be, you know, shitting themselves. What, what, what are you saying? Are you are you worried that Udo's off in the next three weeks? Yes. Really? Yeah. Wow. Don't say <laughs> oh, that's yeah. fascinating. I mean, who's going to spend big money on somebody who's just well, coming back from an ACL? Well, yeah, that's that's what I thought. Um, but then chatting to a couple of people. Um, I hear that he's not one of the highest earners of the team. And when we extended his deal, he's still on that kind of low deal that he got. Think about when he signed his contract. He was, you know, pretty raw. Most of us on the podcast said that, you know, we're happy to let him go. Um, so we've extended his contract um, as one of the lower earners in the squads. And I um, I hear a rumour that he wants a bit more. See, it's a rumour. I have no idea if it's true. It could be wrong. So if it is wrong, apologies, Dan. Um but yeah, um, and on the ACL, Dan, I hear that with um, modern technology and scans and stuff, you can pretty much check that pretty quick, pretty easily. Um, a lot of players have ACLs as well. So, yes, that was my first like inclination. But I think, you know, one of the things I say is, you know, does anything really surprise you in modern football? And who would have thought that Luke Leahy would have been signed um, by um, Wickham Wonders for 120k a few weeks ago? Mm. So, yeah, things can move pretty fast. And yeah, if we do lose Dan Ado, fuck me. Um, we're in trouble because yeah. if we lose Danado, who the hell is scoring goals? Because Bowman is not, uh, a, a, you know, uh, for me, a player who's going to be. A, I don't want him to be a starter. If he is a starter, then I think we'll be looking. Um, you know, we're looking to try and um, stay up um, yeah. rather than way, trying the, to do anything else. The way we played on Saturday, everything good went through Odo, and he, like I say, he looked like our best player by a million miles. He looks strong since he came back. He looks like he bulked out a bit and got a lot stronger. Um, but he still had that burst of pace. He still had that good control of the ball at, at his feet. And obviously, you know, his goal showed that he's got that eye for goal and that snapshot. So, um, yeah, like you say, he'd take some replacing, I think, because he's, he's primed for a good season if he can stay injury-free. Um, so hopefully you're completely wrong, Ollie, and somebody's fed you a bum line there. My son has his new kit arriving on Thursday and it's going to have Udo's name on the back of it. And you know, we're not allowed to sell him for those re- that reason alone. No other oh, he's man. He has to stay for at least... And how old season. is he? How was your son oh, again? Remind us. He's eight. Oh, shit. So you're not yeah. selling down the The Hudson veto has been cast. It ain't <laughs> so yeah, Mickey Moore, if you're listening, no. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I don't know how you'd tell him that news. Um, Thomas would be devastated if he lost that. I, I mean, I'd be very surprised if that happened. But, but so I, I think the money involved would have to be pretty significant. And, and that, that's not great. We won't have any goals. But at the same time, I can't believe we'd let him go for... For, for next to nothing. I mean, Luke Lee is a good example of the way that Mickey Moore apparently drove a reasonably good bargain. Well, Udo's his star man. He's, you know, he's got an easier tool to deal with there than Luke Lee even. So you would hope that... Um, How much? Half a million plus? Well, it depends who's asking, doesn't it? How long has he got left on his contract? One year. See, that's, you know, it's not that much of a bargain until we're one year no. left, is it? Well, if you got 120k for a 30-year-old midfielder who used to be a fullback, you're talking at least 300, 400k you'd want for a down a day, wouldn't you? You'd hope so. And we don't have to sell, don't forget. He's under contract. There's nothing he can do about that fact. Daniel Ludo is our player, and it's a choice if we choose to sell him. And uh, you were at the QA, Ollie, and at that QA, it was I, my understanding is that uh, Mickey Moore said at that that he doesn't expect to sell anyone. Now, at that point, I'm sure he would have known if Dan Udo is unhappy about anything. So he came up with that bold statement to that QA. So I'd like to think that he feels that he can keep him. Talking to the Q&A, Ollie, you had a good old chat with the manager after that as well, didn't you? Yeah, it was quite funny. Um, so I was chatting to Mickey Moore, um, asking him some questions. Um, and then Matt Taylor came over and he was just back to leave. And I said, oh, Matt, can I just introduce myself? 
um, and he goes, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Ollie. Um, I do um, a podcast. Um, I followed you on the Saturday night before you were announced. And he stopped, looked at me and smiled. Um, and I can't remember the conversation exactly, but he said, one of the questions he said is, how did you find out? I said, oh, a random fan told me. And then I heard from another source on the Sunday. Um, and, I, and he said, and he said, you're not going to tell us the sources. So he was putting me in. The, I had this club secretary, Joe Massey, Mickey Moore, all kind of standing there, just kind of looking at me. It's like, no, no, I can't, can't divulge my sources. Um, and I said, oh, you, you deleted your, um, your Twitter account um, afterwards. Um, and I said, was that because of me? Um, my mate Chris followed you as well. And he said, yeah, um, we, we triggered him to um, deleting his Twitter account. And so it was quite funny. And I said, why did you delete the account? Because you didn't want fans messaging you and just smiled. He said, yeah, that went long. He said, that's gone. And so, yeah, funny, like a couple of seconds conversation. But yeah, he was quite keen to find out how I found out he was going to be our manager. Um, and yeah, his do, Twitter account is gone. I wonder if that's coaching staff policy as well now, Ollie, because when we announced Sean Parrish, I went to look because Sean definitely was on Twitter. I used to every now and again get a message from him and he was always quite active on on Twitter and he's gone as well. And that, you know, so I presume that was, a, a you know, when he got the job, they were like, right, no social media guys off you come or whatever, because I thought it was interesting. He's From what I remember, Sean, that may years. have been bad, no bad thing though, Chris, right? He was quite lively on Twitter, wasn't he? Uh, <laughs> you, have you seen that as well then? Yeah, he had uh, he had some thoughts. Uh, I, I I could say he was pretty outspoken about referees at times. And I actually did think, it's one of the reasons I went to look at his Twitter account, I did think as a coach of a football league club, I'm not sure you could get away with saying some of the things I've seen him see in the, say in the past. So, uh, yeah, I did. I wondered if he might have uh, cleansed his account, but he's done more than that. He's completely taken it down. So, yeah, shame in a way because he was always quite good fun. What's your view, Dan, on a manager having a Twitter account? Do you think that's a good idea? You know, um, Joe Bloggs could after the game, send a, a question to the manager about why he isn't playing such and such? Well, I, I quite like people being real people. So if it was the manager and if he didn't just say the same old, you know, cobblers that, that everyone says because they've been advised to do so by their PR gurus, then then it, it, if that was the type of account that he had, then as a fan, I'm all over it. But if I were a manager, never in a month of Sundays would I have a Twitter account. Never. Because even if you don't say anything wrong, someone will think you've said something wrong. And life's too short and you've got enough to do. So I would I would get rid of it uh, immediately. I mean, a, a friend of mine used to be uh, very high up at West Brom, uh, a guy called Richard Garlick, who you may have heard of. And um, he, he was always said that he, he wanted to spend a lot of time with his players, pleading with them to get off social media. Yeah. Not because they were bad guys, but because even the slightest slip will get you into massive trouble. Yeah. So, well, it's not only that as well. You just, see, you just see the negative comments. I've read, you know, the Athletic does those kind of in-depth things, don't they? And I saw one about how there was like some player who played for England reading tweets about about his performances and stuff, or reading Twitter the night before a game. That's not good for his his mental health or his his performance. Um, well, yeah, whenever you, you write something in public, Ollie, and I, I found this would work. Never ever read below the line. Never, ever <laughs> read the comments, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's on, on a newspaper's uh, a website, because, you, you know, you, the, you never know what you're going to find. And a lot of but it's then, just going to be nuts. But then some of them do a good job. So I would say Shay Dunkley does a very good job of... Elliot Bennett does a good job. Yeah, Elliot Bennett as well does a good job. Harry Bigoyne does a good job as well. Um, I think you need to be a bit older um, and have broad shoulders to be a footballer or a manager on, on Twitter. So apparently Pep Guardiola has a secret account, and I'm sure there's a lot of secret accounts out there. Um, so yeah, if you're listening, thanks for thanks for listening. I think to you've also got to have something about you as a person. You've got to be able to say things that actually will either make people smile or make people think. And that's not a footballer's job. 
They don't have to have that skill set, but some of them aren't. Ben is very good at it. You know, it, it, they do say things where yeah, they come across as, as quite interesting humans, um, but it's not his job to do that. He just does it, I suspect, because he finds it quite a nice release. Cool. We are coming to the close of this podcast, and there's still a, a bit of a section to get through. So I'm going to run through a bunch of, of news. Um, we're going to try and try and pull it up. So obviously we've got the new kit, so the new home kit. Um one person in this podcast did have a potentially had a bit of a say in that because they were badging Brian months ago to get this kit. Um, their name will remain anomalous, Chris. Um, so it wasn't then... me, Ollie. It wasn't mine. <laughs> it was not me. I don't like it. I, I'm not going to. Let's not get carried away here, Ollie. I didn't have a say or anything. But yeah, it's true that I did write to Brian and ask, suggest that we needed a blue kit, and he he did come back to me and say that it was something they were looking at anyway. And we talked about the fact that they were looking for a reason and something to tie it to. And, and that's what got him sacked, Ollie. It's all, <laughs> it's all my I, fault. I, I actually suggested fault. linking it to the 93-94 all blue kit because we won the league in 93-4. I suggested 2003-4 because uh, that was the season that we got promoted through the playoffs in non-league. All of those obviously significant anniversaries 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I even said 40 years ago we had our best ever league finish in 83-84. So I suggested that one too. So they ignored all of that and went for 73-74 instead, which wasn't me, but I do like the kit. I do like the kit. And I know that's not everyone's cup of tea. I know some people think it's boring, but to me, it's, I suppose I went up in the nineties, we played in a lot of blue kits and it's, and then we obviously, which is when I started going. And before that, it was historically our colors right through the fifties, sixties, seventies, and into the, until the stripes came in in the early eighties. So it's, to me, it's our colors and I like it. And I, I make no apology for that. I know a lot of people think otherwise, but you're never going to please everybody. So just for at least give me one year, give me one year where the people who actually like a blue kit get to have that, get to have their way for a change. I'd like a white kit, but yeah, I like the fact that we can move it around and stripes is, yeah, stripes is a strong identity, but it has you know, issues with changing kits. Mike, um, Mike, Dan, thoughts on kit quickly? Yeah, I, I, I must, I, I am a sucker for stripes. I do like the blue number stripes. I'm not opposed to a blue kit. I, I came up in the 90s, same as you, Chris, and, and that was when I started from the town. It was always a blue kit. I just think this this one they've released, it's slightly too plain for me. There's something about it. It just looks block blue, bit of amber trim. It, it just... I've not seen it in the flesh. I've seen it on the players on Saturday, but it was just, if then it maybe had amber shorts with it or something. Amber socks, I think. Amber socks or something. It's all a bit too blue for me um, without really anything going on. Yeah, it's just plain. And I'm a very fussy guy. I, I like fancy clothes, but, you know. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm not a fussy guy, and I, most of my wardrobe, you know, I'm, I'm sitting talking to you guys tonight in a pretty boring purplish T-shirt, pretty plain. Oh, no, very dapper, Chris. Don't do yourself, do you? Very dapper, thanks, It's Dad. better than that mankini. I can imagine that I would wear this shirt. <laughs> I would actually wear this shirt a bit because it's not too garish. I'm not going to feel, you know, if I wear it away from a football match, I'm not going to feel a complete Muppet in it. So I feel like that it's a shirt I can actually use. And yeah, I'm looking forward to my, mine should arrive on Thursday and I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully I'll have it on on Saturday for the Cheltenham game. And hopefully Joe will be playing. We have three and a half towers already, three shirts. And I love it. I think it's great. I, I didn't know I was going to love it, but um, I like I do like the simplicity a bit. Sorry, Mike. And I like the, 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 you know, the amber tinge in various places. So I must admit, it's already been worn four times to play football down here in the south of, south of England. So yeah. I'm, a, I'm a convert. I love it. There'll be two in our house because the kids want one. But I'm probably what Ollie was about to say. I'm more interested in the away kit. I prefer that, I think, even though it looks like a Liverpool shirt. I think for me, just a bit more something about it. That's breaking news for us guys, isn't it? That's been launched literally while we've been talking. So that's uh, that's nice. What do so you like it, Mike? What does everyone else think? Yeah, uh, the home kit I think is quite nice, and the away kit, yeah, I like as well. It's um, 
yeah, it's good to obviously need a very different kit as well. So red and blue, red um, options there for the club. So yeah, hopefully we won't have to need a third kit this season. And yeah, quite I quite like the launch. It's been quite cool um, photos with um, with uh, with Thorpe. And yeah, I like it. It's a, it's a nice kit. It's a good one. Let's be clear, guys. One, we've got kits before the start of the season. This is progress. Two, it would appear the manager didn't come in and tell everybody to rip up the old contract. That's progress. It just strikes me as a quite a nice, dull process for a change. Whereas in previous years, there's been too much saga with the kids. At least this yeah. time, we've got two. They look all right. I mean, I, the away kit, yeah, I, it's fine. I'm not going to buy it, but it, it looks all right. Um, but I just like the fact that it's been pretty undramatic for a change. Bit late, but yeah, totally get your point. It's, at least we've got them. Um, and it's it's been done as well. And also, just talking a kit, so there has been a couple of um, changes as well. So there's a new retailer coming in. It's something that a lot of clubs are doing these days, outsourcing their club shop and on online sales to, to a third party. Um, so we've done that as a consequence of that. Um, Sib um, decided to leave. I'm sure she would have had the option just to move over and two p over. Her right would have been to two p over to the newcomer if she wanted to, but she left the club. And yes, yeah, it was always very helpful um, buying buying kits and had that kind of familiarity going into the club um, and and a long servant of the club. So yeah, I think on part of the podcast, wish her well. And I'm sure you guys have all had good contact with Sib. Um, and yeah, I'm sure all fans will miss her as well. Yeah, I like Sib. She's a good guy, a uh, good person, Ollie. She's always been uh, entertaining to talk to. Uh, I've, had, I've had a few chats with her in the shop over the years. I've known her for a long time. I knew, I knew her daughters as well. So, yeah, she's a, she's a lovely lady. And uh, it's a shame that she's going. It's a shame because she's, uh, she's part. People like that, you know, she's been there 21 years. They're part of the fabric of the club, aren't they? You know, players come and go. But people like Sib are there for, you know, generations, as it were. There's, there's fans who've grown up with Sib working in that shop. So, it's a real shame that she's moving on. And yeah, I, I, I hope that she's gone in a way that she's happy with. And I hope we see her about the place as a supporter because, you know, she, even before she did this job, I knew Sib and she was always there when I was young in the crowd supporting the team. So I hope that continues. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the connection with supporters because I went down to pick up some season tickets Thursday last week, I think. And Sib was just knocking around in the back of the uh, ticket office and sort of shouted through to say, oh, here you're off and everything. And we got chatting and she was sort of saying, um, she really enjoyed the connection with the fans and, and she had a, a, a number of, sort of renowned fans of the town and, and Glyn was one of them, which is why she got talking about it, saying she'd always ring them up about ideas for kits or ideas for things to be sold in the shop. And she really she really went out of her way to get fans' opinions on what was going to be stocked and what they were going to sell. So she was a good connection between the commercial arm of the club, which clearly just wants to make money, but also making something that fans are going to engage with and fans are going to want to get involved with. So hopefully the new setup can carry on a bit of that. But um, yeah, she did a brilliant job. So all the best. And she said she's going to be in the, the Sovereign every week now. So um, she's yeah, got a nice cushy place to land anyway. Yeah, she's an honorary member, isn't she, of the Sovereign yeah. Club as well. So that's really great. Um, and yeah, talk just while we're talking about um, the club. Um, so I made a decision. My mate Phil decided to stop having a season ticket. I don't know if it's his decision or his missus' decision, but he stopped having a season ticket. Um, and so I said, the seat next to me is gone and Benji's 20 months old. So I decided... Probably doesn't cost me too much, so I decided to get Benji's first season ticket. So I keep the seat for a few years. Um, and I must say, Martin was really, really helpful. Um, sent him some emails and released the, 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 the seat. Um, and yeah, Martin, and also, I think it's worth just noting you know, one of the things that me and Glenn used to always do was talk about off field issues. Um, and ticket off has always been a bit of an issue, and Martin seems to resolve that as well. So, yes, yeah, it's a real shame that Sib um, has left, but I thought it was worth just giving a, a note to Martin. I don't really see people talking about the ticket offers anymore. 
And it's one of those jobs that if you do a good job, no one really talks about it or no one's really very thankful. So I thought it was worth, you know, I was chatting to you guys as well on, on WhatsApp to try and try and organise that ticket. And I know, Mike, you were saying some nice things about it as well. Yeah, it was a brilliant help with, obviously, with, with Glenn passing away. He had the season ticket next to me. Uh, we wanted to keep that as, as sort of, you know, keeping his, his ticket in our family. So I had to move my daughters into his seat and then connect Glenn's kids' tickets to my ticket. Lots of complicated stuff going on. And it was a breeze. He was a massive help with it. Um, so, yeah, like you say, it used to be a right chaos, you know, ticket office when there was a big game or when it was the end of a season, the start of a new one, people getting tickets and things. But it seems really smooth now, doesn't it? And I think all the all the sort of the, the access issues going through the barcode and gate seem to be sorted. So, um, yeah, good job. Crack on. Brilliant. So, yeah, that's a nice place to leave this podcast. Um, so, yeah, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, and we'll be back again soon.